0: Good morning, everyone. (laughs) I hope you're all feeling good and rejoiceful this morning. Is that a word, rejoiceful? (laughs) I just made up a word. (laughs) Perhaps it'll go in the dictionary. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, God, for this opportunity um, to spend some time with you. And I pray, Lord, I just give my words to you, the things that I've prepared. And whatever you need... Um, people to hear. Will you highlight that? And if there's anything that you don't want people to hear, will you um, throw it away, Lord? Ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Elroy, the God who sees. Um, I'm going to go a bit off-piste here. So um, I have, this is a, something I haven't got written down. So I was just thinking this morning: um, how important is it? that we feel seen. Um, My daughter Becky, uh, when she left home, uh, she would be 18, 19, she went to college in London and she found a church, she was still walking with the Lord at that point, she found a church in the centre of London which was for actors and artists and musicians and um, she made herself very useful on the tech desk, they used to call her Techie Becky. Um, and but her real desire was to do backing vocals in the band, and she constantly asked, "Can I do backing vocals, please? Can I?" I think once she was allowed. To, she's got a lovely voice, and she sings harmony really well. So it was really a waste for her not to use that talent. But they wanted her to be techie Becky because nobody else wanted to do the tech desk, so she wasn't allowed to do it. And gradually, more and more, she became disillusioned with that particular church. And it was instrumental. There were other things that happened, but it was instrumental in, um, I won't say causing her to walk away, because that was her choice, but it didn't help, let's put it that way. Um, one day, while she was still there, we, we went down to see her. It was some kind of evening um, maybe it was around Christmas, I think she was in a choir, and she was, um, they were doing some kind of performance. Anyway, we went down to see her, and afterwards, there was a little party in their crypt downstairs. And I was watching her, and she was flitting from group to group. She knew, she knew everyone there, and she was flitting from one group to another. We hardly saw her. She would, she would go and hover in one place, and then she would flit to another, and then she would flit to. And I said to um, Jonathan and Sophie, who were with me, I said, Oh, she's like a hummingbird. And, um, you know, she just flits from place to place and doesn't really settle anywhere. And um, Sophie was so taken with this idea that she wrote a song called Hummingbird for her sister. And of course, Becky was really thrilled with that. Um, so Becky then told me she was going to get a tattoo. Now, I'm really against tattoos. I don't like them. Sorry if you've got them, but I really don't like them. And I was very upset. But she had a hummingbird tattooed on her shoulder. And when I said to her, but why? Why would you spoil your pretty skin? And she said, Mom, it's about being seen. It's about being seen. She wanted it there permanently to remind herself that God sees her. And I'm just holding on to that now when she's really quite far away from the Lord. That hummingbird is still on her shoulder. You know, I don't believe they're particularly godly things, but that's my, maybe I'm old-fashioned, I don't know. But that, she wanted a permanent reminder that God sees her. She has a cross tattooed behind her here, and a hummingbird on her shoulder to remind herself that God sees her. One of Jonathan's favorite films is Avatar. Have any of you ever seen Avatar? And his favorite phrase from that film is when one of the um, protagonists says, I see you. Because it has so much more meaning than just with your eyes. Right, I'll get back on track now, Daniel. (laughs) So when I was first thinking about this, um, I'm going to read first the um, scripture, I think which Daniel is going to put up for us, Genesis 16, 1 to 15. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, Abram, sorry, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you were responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows that she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. So when I was first thinking about this, a memory came to me. I'm probably going to leave my glasses for this. Um, from many years ago when I was at drama school Um, there was a girl um, I can't even remember her name I think let's call her (coughs) Johan drama school is very competitive Uh, you you may know this already I'm sorry if I'm preaching to the choir it's very very competitive it's one of the few things most of them are attached to universities now Um, and it's one of the few university courses that you have to pay to be auditioned So um, it's really, really competitive. It's an amazing achievement, even, to get into one. My daughter got into two. (laughs) Sophie got into two. Um, I only got into one, and that was after trying twice. (laughs) It's my second attempt. Um, they um, They are very down on you if you don't work. You have to work really hard. Um, And even then, if you don't hit what they feel is the mark to be successful in the acting industry, they will throw you out. Because there are queues of people waiting for a place that would take your place. Joanne was um, in her 20s, um, but she looked about 12 years old, which is a great benefit in this industry, because if they want a child, they have to jump through all sorts of hoops. They have to be licensed and everything. There's a lot of paperwork to fill in. So if there's a woman who looks in her 20s who looks 12 years old, they can get a lot of work. So I think that's why they took her on. Um, But partway through the year, um, partway through the year, she was about to be thrown off the course through no fault of her own. You may have heard of the terms stage presence. Do you know what stage presence is? Um, You can't learn it. It's something you've either got or you haven't. Um, Judy Dench has it. If I've passed Judy Dench in the street in Stratford and walked past her and not realised until I've gone past her that little old lady standing outside Marks and Spencer's, that is that Judi Dench? I've met her, I've spoken to her. She is tiny and very, very insignificant looking. You really would not give her a second glance. When she gets on stage, she's a giant. She's got this amazing presence. Um, If any of you remember Ralph Richardson, um, I saw him on stage as well. You could not take your eyes off him. It didn't matter who else was on the stage. Your focus was always on him. Some people have got that. Um, um, but Joanne, <coughs> sadly, was completely the opposite. She would get on stage and nobody saw her. She would just disappear. This is what they said to her. You disappear on stage. You know, You'll never make it because you disappear on stage. So she was about to be thrown out but there was something that made the school directors change their minds um and she finished the course and she finished to great accolade and the reason for that was in that particular course they had a six week television course so they popped across the road to ealing studios and were filming each other and joanne what she lacked on stage made up for enormously on screen. She had an immense screen presence. Um, so um, she, was, she was so seen on, on TV. <clears throat> um, and another famous actor that you might recognise, I don't know if you, I like um, Star Trek TNG, Patrick Stewart. I've seen him on stage at... Um, RSC and I was very disappointed <laughs> because he had no stage presence to speak of, but the commanding presence that he has when playing Captain Picard. Do any of you watch this or, or am I? No. <laughs> yes. Yeah, some people do. It's, it's fun. We, Jonathan and I enjoy it. But he has this commanding presence and is a very, very, very good screen actor. <clears throat> so this is something people can't help. Some lucky actors like Judi Dench got, have got both. So, the reason I'm telling you this, there is a point to it, was that thinking about this, I took several lessons from Joanne's situation. And the first lesson was that there are ways and ways of seeing. There are different ways of seeing. And it doesn't always mean see what we see with our eyes, you know, what we see of the person in front of us, that, that's the mask that they present to us. Can we have 1 Samuel 16, six to 7 please? When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, "Surely the God's anointed, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Hagar was insignificant in the eyes of her peers. She was a slave. She wasn't even just a servant. She was probably what was known as a bond slave. She might have been sold into slavery for a certain period of time to pay debts or whatever. Um, Or even just as a means of survival. uh, Because if she was a slave in a household, she would be fed um, and have somewhere to sleep. So we don't know where she came from except that she was Egyptian. But when Sarai decided in her wisdom to um, help God and give Sarai to Abram so that he could have the offspring that she thought God meant for him, um, Hagar would not have had any say in the matter. She wouldn't have had any choice. She would have had to do as she was told. She no doubt felt, once she was pregnant, that that gave her... Um, a bargaining chip, if you like. You think she was the the lowest of the low. Suddenly she's um, promoted, if you like, to the wife of Abraham. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> thank you. That's really helpful. And and she did something that Sarah hadn't been able to do. She got pregnant. So it must have been quite heady for her. Um, and she started to lord it over Sarai. Um, <clears throat> but she was, she'd was, she started off completely alone, unsupported and despised. But she became, in the end, a mother of a nation um, because God keeps his word. And he said that Abram's seed would be uh, more than the grains of sand. So Hagar, from being... Um, unrecognized, the lowest of the low, became mother of a nation. Um, Of course, her attitude backfired on her. Though I have to say, nobody comes out of it smelling like roses. (laughs) Because, you know, Abraham... um, Abraham took... You know, she, he was directed by his wife. Um, Sarah is trying to help God. She's trying to control things. Um, and um, she ill-treats Hagar. And she ill-treats her so badly that she has to run away, even though she, there's nowhere to run to. And I've put here, Into this shameful state of affairs came the angel of the Lord. There are some people that say this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. I I tend to lean on that. If you don't know what a pre-incarnate Jesus is, you can talk to your small group leader. Um, They are um, appearances of Jesus before he was born. Um, And because this refers to the angel as the Lord, the Lord says, um, I think this is probably Jesus that meets with her. He already knows Hagar's name. He knows what her position is. Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And it's not that the angel of the Lord doesn't know the answer to these questions. But like God so often does with us, he wants her to acknowledge where she is and what she's doing. She has a sense to see that and her answer is honest. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. So the response from the angel is to say, go back to your horrid situation. Um, And this is the second lesson I picked up from Joanne. Sometimes we're not seen because we're not in the right place. Joanne's right place was in front of the camera, not in front of a live audience. Hagar wasn't in the right place. The desert isn't a good place for a pregnant woman, or a woman alone. She had no food. And the reason she was sitting beside a spring was because that would be the only source of water in the desert. She she couldn't move. She couldn't go forward. If she'd stayed there and not gone back, she probably, she and her child, would probably have died. She was in an impossible situation. She couldn't go back because she would be beaten. or mistreated and she couldn't go forward because she would die. But God told her to go back to the place that she was meant to be. So that's a question I have. And I'm asking myself as well as you, am I in the right place? Am I in the right calling? Am I in the right job? Whatever it is, um, if you're like me, a bit of a doer, It's a good thing to be, Uh, but those of us that are doers should remember that not everything relies on us. Um, I've seen hardworking people run themselves into the ground um, because they're doing too much, and like Martha, I think we've got the um, scripture to come up who was a woman of great faith. She was a woman of great faith, um, which is another talk, which I'd love to do. <laughs> she gets a bad press, as Martha. Um, they worry that if they don't work, uh, we worry that if we don't do the work, it won't get done. Can we have the scripture up? Um, it's Luke 10, 40 to 42. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. And that's the key. You're worried and upset. It's not that she was busy. It's that she was worried and upset about things that really she needn't have been. But few things are needed. You're doing too much, Martha. We don't need all this. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So, if if you're a very busy person, um, maybe you need to, see, and you're feeling overwhelmed, maybe you need to seek the Lord to see if there's something you should be laying down. Um, you do need to do that prayerfully. I'm not telling people what to do. <laughs> Um, when you do lay down work it's amazing and sometimes surprising who steps forward to take it on you know because people might have a calling in that area but they see the good job that you're doing and they think they're not needed Um, and I have, I genuinely have seen that happen happen. Um, so that's that's the question. Am I in the right place, Lord? The third thing I learned from Joanne, Joanne's situation is that God seeing me isn't always comfortable. <laughs> it's not always comfortable. Joanne had a really unhappy time when she realized that they'd been going to throw her out. When she realized that they thought she disappeared on stage, she was unhappy. And doubly so, because it was something that she couldn't do anything about. She couldn't work to make it better. I remember the first time we came to St. Paul's. We'd had a, a dreadful um, time at a previous church, um, which had split. <coughs> we were looking for a small home church to go to, and we were driving to Warwick, because there was one somewhere near Warwick Gates. And we got part way. <laughs> we got, we were just driving, um, just coming into Leamington and I, I just said, I can't, I can't, I can't go to a small church, Jonathan, I can't, everybody, be, I, I was upset, I was in an emotional state, everybody would be looking at me and I would have to greet people and be nice to people and I can't, I just can't do it. So he said, do you think you can manage St. Paul's then? So I said, yeah, Maybe because, you know, St. Paul's is a big church. Um, at that time, I think they were just having one service in the morning, and it was packed. It was also Mother's Day, so it was very packed. Um, and I thought, I can go along there, and people won't, um, they won't take any notice of me. So along we came, and we sat in a pew. They still had the pews. We sat in a pew over there behind the pillar so that nobody could see me. And I listened to the service with the tears rolling quietly down my cheeks, thinking, this is fine, I can cope with this. But then, um, (laughs) I mean, my sorrow was compounded by the fact it was Mother's Day and my children hadn't remembered me, so I was in a right old state. But then Simon, who was the curate at the time, got up and gave one of the words from the Lord that they'd had before the service, which was, I believe somebody is carrying a great sorrow. And he looked over. I swear he couldn't see me, but he looked over to where I was sitting. I'm sure that was God, not him. And I just went, oh, no. It felt like a big super trooper spotlight was right on me. <laughs> like God had shone. Um, they're called super troopers. The big, that's why the Abba song, you know, super trooper light like, is going to find me. Uh, they're big spotlights, follow spotlights. You know? <laughs> And I just went, that was it. I was a mess. I was sobbing, really ugly, crying, you know, and there was no way that the people around me couldn't see. (laughs) Um, It was really uncomfortable. I was very embarrassed. I felt stripped bare. I felt like somebody had just ripped a plaster off off a wound. Um, It was painful. However, thinking back now, I think that God knew that I needed to be seen at that point that I'm sure that the people around me who did not say a word to me, they didn't embarrass me, they they did not make a fuss, I'm sure that they went away and prayed for me. I had one person, I think it was Ruth, who came and took my hand and squeezed it and just smiled as I was going out. Um, And it comforted me, really. But it was painful at the time. God saw me. And it, it was really uncomfortable. However, I really, honestly believe that that started the healing process. That if I tried to continue to hide it, it would have become a festering wound that would have taken much more, um, much more prayer um, and work to heal. So, the situation that Hagar was in was bad enough to drive her into the barren desert. Um, It was uncomfortable for her. It was uncomfortable for her to go back. Can you imagine what it would be like? She would have to humble herself before this woman who was ill-treating her. I'm going back to ask for my job back that I've run away from. Um, I'm going back to ask them to take me in again even though they'd been ill-treating me. Um, she had to humble herself. It was uncomfortable for her. She had to go back to whatever punishment was awaiting her. But the sense of God seeing her was so profound that she was able to do that. Even the name Ishmael um, sounds like God hears, and he says, I have heard your misery. I have heard your misery." If you're feeling miserable, God has heard your misery. He can see you. He sees where you are. He knows what you need. Hagar's encounter with the angel of the Lord completely changed her life. He sees her and tells her she's important But she herself has seen God, the one who sees her. That strengthened her to face whatever was to come. The TV camera is a big, it's like a big eye. It's the director and the editor in TV and film that show you what they want you to see. You don't see, it's like the old joke, you know, of this newsreader sitting behind his desk and he's actually wearing boxer shorts underneath. You don't know what's, if you saw some of the sets I've seen, some of them are a complete mess. That you only get to see what the director and the, um, the editor want you to see. Um, if you've ever seen Schindler's List, who's seen Schindler's List? Uh, it's, if you've not seen it, it's a hard watch, but it's really, really good film. And um, it was in black and white all the way through, except for this one little girl who was being taken to the um, concentration camps. And uh, uh, um, Spielberg wanted people to see, really see this girl. So he highlighted her. She was the only one that had anything colored on. He highlighted her red coat so that you could see, out of all the people that were being heard, that children were there too. And it had such an impact, it was very clever. Well, God is the all-seeing one. And sometimes he'll highlight something he wants us to see, whether it's a person that we're hardly aware of who seems insignificant, whether it's something that's not quite right in our own life, or whether he wants us to be made a little bit uncomfortable in order to grow. If he wants you to see something, he's perfectly capable of putting it in a metaphorical red coat. But we should always remember that he doesn't see as man sees. He sees with the eyes of perfect love, past the masks that we wear, we all wear masks, past those, into our very souls. He sees you. You are seen. And he loves you with a perfect love.